لكل شيء إذا ما تم نقصان فلا يغر بطيب العيش إنسان هي الأمور بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على نبينا محمد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to the Caravan Sarai My name is Bilal and I am one third of your hosting trio joined by brothers Umar and Sadman and joining us today uh, joining us for uh, today's episode is brother Nasser for a discussion about conversion to Islam in the West and some of the questions we are hoping to answer but are not limited to are what are some of the factors which draw potential converts towards Islam what are the primary issues that all converts in, to, to Islam seem to face and will the number of converts to Islam in the West rise or decline in the near future and with that being said I will hand things over to brother Sadman to give a brief bio uh, about our guest. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for tuning into our podcast today. And it's an honor to introduce our guest today, Dr. Nasser, who embraced Islam at the tender age of 14 and began a life of research and da'wah, being an active participant in local MSA events and lectures. He received his Bachelor of Arts of degree from Concordia University with a major in religion and a minor in classical Arabic language. He went on to earn a master's degree in the history, in, in the history and philosophy of religion from the same university <clears throat> and he then continued Islamic studies in Qalam Institute which is headed by Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangda. In 2019 he completed his PhD from the International Islamic University of Malaysia in Din and Comparative Religion. Dr. Nasser has traveled throughout the US, UK and Canada giving lectures on Islam to various Islamic youth groups and organizations. He joined Al-Huda Foundation in 2020 as an Imam, resident scholar, and a youth director, and um, we are we have it's a pleasure to have him today. And I'll pass it on to um, Brother Omar to kick off the questions. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum, Ustaz Nasser. Wa alaikum assalam wa Alhamdulillah, bi khair. Ustaz Nasser, like uh, Sadman mentioned, you embraced Islam at a subhanallah very young age. Would you be able to tell us a bit of um, what interested you into Islam at, at that time, and how you well, became Muslim? Yeah, sure. So for me, I, I think I had a pretty uh, typical uh, upbringing as a you know regular Canadian kid. Um, but uh, religion was something that was always discussed in my house. Um, something you know, there was definitely a grounding of the concept that definitely there is a God, and that religion played an important factor. But when it came to um, being very practicing or really studying and knowing these scriptures and so forth. You know, there was a lot of discussion in my home. There was a lot of, you know, um, you could say uh, interest in these subjects um, that would come up. And and this, I think, I think definitely had, a, you know, sort of impact on my mind as I was a young kid that, uh, you know, I, I really did wonder, you know, who has the best evidence and why. And then especially specifically around, you know, you go through puberty and you start to mature a little bit. You start to look at the world a little bit differently and you start to ask yourself the big question that every high school you know, students is thinking about, which is, who am I going to be? What am I going to do? What's going to be my impact in the world? Who do I identify with? What type of group am I going to be part of? You know, what do I stand for? And these are sort of the big questions uh, that were in my mind. And I really felt like that there was three main sort of paths in front of me. I think, you know, just sort of broadly speaking, I think the first uh, was the concept that, you know, I could just keep on living a sort of hedonistic lifestyle where just, you know, keep partying it up and having a good time and just, you know, waiting for Friday night, you know, just the sort of typical thing that kids do at that young age. And I could just keep living my life that way. But then I thought, well, that's not going to go anywhere. And, you know, usually people 
like that end up, you know, just some loser in the bar, and, you know, just uh, remembering the glory days or whatever. So I thought that's that's not very useful. <laughs> and then I yeah. thought, okay, well, the second option is, um, you know, I could study really, really hard and really focus on school, but why? So I can get a good job. Why? So I can make a lot of money. Why? I don't know. So I could have a nice house and a pool and a car, a nice car. And then I was like, and that's it. And I was like, that's kind of pathetic. I really don't like materialistic people who are really, they've, they've, they've placed their whole self-worth and value on just look at my house and look at my car and I have so much money. I was like, it's, you know, I mean, you know, nice possessions are nice and everything. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all, if that's your whole purpose in life, that's kind of a pathetic life. I'm like, I so I don't want to be, I don't want to go down that road. So then I thought, okay, so I need a purpose. And then it was like, well, what is the purpose of life? Like, I mean, there's, there's a big difference between asking what is the purpose that I will invent versus is there an actually actual objective purpose for life? And so that mm-hmm. that's naturally where it came. I, I kind of thought the whole idea of just making up your own purpose is, I mean, you could change it every five minutes. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. It's just, it's, it's, it's imaginary. Right. And so, and then I thought, no, that's not sufficient. There, is there an actual reason that we're alive? And then that introduced me to the whole, you know, uh, world of comparative religion. And I've been studying that pretty much ever since. I mean, I, I find that to me, it's kind of weird. I, I always thought that everybody should be interested in this topic. I don't understand how anybody is on this planet and not wondering why they're on this planet. <laughs> to me, <laughs> yeah. You know, when people ask this question, you know, like, why did you get interested in these things? I'm like, how are you not? I mean, I'm interested in the question of, of, as to why are we alive? Because I'm alive. I thought that was sufficient. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that would be of uh, impetus to drive people to learn, like who's got the best evidence of why why do we exist? So uh, I, I'll leave it there. I guess does that answer your question? <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, so you were thinking all of that at 14 years old, mashallah. No, I don't, mashallah. I don't think I, I, I don't think I articulated it. You know, you know, you, you know, in retrospect, you you articulate it better and better as you as sort of review your thoughts. But I do think yeah. that. that general train of thought yeah i, don't, I, I mean i'm i can i can express it in, in probably better now but i don't think i could have repeated those words at back then but yeah i think That's the general right. idea was there so would, would you say you were like unique in your social circle who, who was thinking like that no or? no i don't think so at all i think that uh, a very close friend of mine who uh all at the same at, we, i would say that i had a few friends that were thinking actually specifically one guy who was uh from a catholic background his parents uh, were pra- quite practicing Catholics, and mm. uh, he was very interested. He was asking me questions uh, as as I got more interested in Islam. He was always asking me more questions, which, which forced me to uh, do more research and to get more serious and to answer his questions. And Alhamdulillah, he embraced Islam. And actually, he oh. left uh, to Egypt and lived there for I think like ten years. And, wow! Yeah, his, his Arabic is fluent now, mashallah, and. Uh, Mashallah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's studied his dean quite a bit. And so, alhamdulillah, you know, me and him, we, we kind of were, you know, we were in high school together. And uh, we kind of, I guess you could say, matured together and uh, really realized that, like, this is this is what it is, you know. This, this is the truth and this is, you know, why not go all the way with it, you know. SubhanAllah. Do, do, you type, do you lead, like, what made you guys different? Do you think it was to do with your families and your family's parents' background? I, I again, uh, I don't. I, I personally find it very confusing why more people don't think about these things. To me, it's not like the, 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 the framing of the question is like, what makes you the anomaly? To me, it's like everybody else is strange for not being more concerned about mm. why they exist. It's just a weird, it's a weird, it's and that's why I enjoy da'wah so much because da'wah is essentially going up to people and saying, 
Like, why do you exist? You know, there's, there's this big elephant in the room that you're kind of ignoring. Uh, let's talk about it. And sometimes people get so shaken and they, and they're so, you know, confused and just flabbergasted. Like, Oh my God, I I never really thought about these things. Um, and that is, is one of the reasons why I love Dawah so much. And I think it's so important that that's the job of a Muslim to be like, wake up. Like, it's like, it's really, it's like somebody who's just asleep and dreaming and you just need to shake them and be like, wake up. What are you doing? Like, why do you exist? You know, uh, to me, it's, I'll, I'll put it this way. Just a, a quick anecdote. I remember when I was, um, I was uh, at a Dawah table. It was an Islamic Awareness Week or something like this at a at a certain college. I think this was at um, Loyola campus in in Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but anyway, um, no, it might have been at Vanier. I don't remember. Anyway, it was a long time ago, many years ago. And there was I had been been at this these Dawah tables for a few days in a row, and I was you know getting kind of amazed uh, at how. Uh, confused people were and how they really never thought about even the most basic questions. So after a few days of frustration, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to sort of, you know, loosen up and get, you know, almost play a prank on a guy, you know? So, you know, one guy comes up and he goes, and I go, um, what do you, I go, I go, I want to, I want to ask you a situation. If I remember this correctly, this is how I said it. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. I goes, okay, sure. I go, I want you to imagine that I put a gun right to your head right now. <laughs> okay. And I say, and I say to you, you have to tell me what is the purpose of your life in the next 10 seconds? You have to tell me, why do you exist? Go. And the guy is like, um, well, uh, and I'm like, and I'm like, bang. And the guy, he just goes, well, what do most people say? And I go, I didn't ask most people. I'm asking you. And that's what most people do. They just say, they just, they just say, you know, well, what do most people say? Or uh, the most common answer that I get from most people is they say, um, uh, well, you know, that's a, that's a really heavy question. And a lot of people have a lot of different answers. And uh, yeah, I'm not asking a lot of different people. I'm asking you. And so I've, I, after hearing this day after day after day, I finally said, you know, what? I'm going to put this guy on the spot and just some random stranger. And I just put him in the scenario. And I give him this bang and he just, he, well, what do most people say? You know, I don't know. And he just couldn't answer me. And I've, I've been in situations, I remember in Concordia when I was in my university, I remember uh, I was asking this one young lady, I didn't do this whole gun situation. Don't worry. I wasn't, I was a little, <laughs> but, but, but I remember this, this, this one girl, she, she really, she couldn't come up with an answer and she actually started to get emotional about it. Like, you know, I was like, you know, why, why do you exist? Like why take the next breath or eat the next meal or why, what is the purpose of all this? What are we doing here? you know, and, and she, she just couldn't come up with anything. And it really made her sad and upset. And I I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to upset you or anything, but it was so, it it was, I guess it was necessary. You know, it's one of those moments where people Mm. have this, you know, this, this deep moment where they realize like, man, what am I doing with my life? Anyway, so to add, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a huge tangent here, but anyway, point being that to me, um, we need to wake people up. That's, that, that's my passion towards Dawah, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Um, and uh, Brother Nasser, so from a very young age, you've established that, you know, you were interested in, in the purpose of life. So how did you narrow that do- down specifically to Islam? Like what was the key characteristic of the religion or several maybe that, that drew you in? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a long journey. I mean, it's always, you know, uh, in terms of learning, but definitely at a young age, I, I knew that Islam clearly stood out from the rest. Um, 
you know, if you look at the major world religions, as a young kid, I, I'm only aware of, let's say, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism, which involves a lot of idolatry. I remember I visited a Buddhist temple one time, uh, you know, actually it was part of a school sort of project where they were like, we were visiting different religious places. And we went to, we did like this meditation thing and like this, this, this Buddhist temple. And I remember there's just idols everywhere. And uh, whether it be Hinduism or Buddhism, just the whole idea of idolatry, I was just like, there's, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I just can't do that. Um, it just seemed completely wrong. Uh, and then when it came to uh, the three major world religions, uh, excuse me, the three uh, Abrahamic religions of uh, Judaism, I've always gotten the impression that Judaism, you know, since they don't preach, it's not really a, it's not a proselytizing religion. They're not really looking for converts. It's mostly, you know, revolving around a certain tribe, the Hebrew people about bloodline and so forth. And I felt like, well, yeah. you know, I just, I just, I can't get down with that. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, if, if, if race is an issue and if I'm not part of it and if you don't want me, then I don't want you, you know, it's like, like just like, well, let's end this right. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so, uh, and then when it came to Christianity, you know, the, the Trinity, the Trinity, just, you know, God is, you know, the concept of that he has a son, but he is his son and that he sent his son to, to be sacrificed. So by himself to appease himself because of the rules that he put and like, you know, so then God died. Is that considered suicide? No, it's not suicide. Well, who killed him? Well, he did it to himself. And the whole, it's just, you know, how can God die? If one of them's dead, are all three dead? And anyway, the whole thing to me was just one big mess right from the beginning. Um, and uh, clearly, you know, I, I, even at a young age, you know, looking through and reading, reading, you know, the, the four gospels and realizing that, you know, the, the concept of the Trinity is really not front and center. You know, if, if that really was Jesus' mission to preach that, then he would have just said it straight up and really just preached that. That would have been the, the central crux of the message. And, and if you just take a look at the Bible, you really find that it's a story about, you know, from the time of Adam and then Abraham, well, Noah and then Abraham and then all these different prophets, you, you find a consistent theme of God is one, life is a test, you know, um, and, and you should be a good person. And so, you know, when, when that led me towards Islam, promoting these basic ideas of Tawheed, God is one, and, and Nubuwa, that God sends prophets and messengers with, with books, and, and that these books teach us to be good to one another, and that ultimately life is a test, and that there's a judgment day, and so forth. This was just so uh, fitra, you know, it's just the fitra, it's just so natural. And only later on, uh, when atheism started to become more popular, that even became a, a question, because, I mean, the concept of a creator was not even, whether a God existed or not wasn't even a factor, I would say, for, for my younger years. I mean, there, there must be something behind all this. And then only later on when, when atheism started to catch steam uh, and there was that sort, sort of that, that new wave of the, 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 the what's the, what they called the, the four horsemen of the atheist, new atheism apocalypse, whatever, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So when these guys get popular, uh, uh, then I started taking that more seriously as a, as a subject matter. And alhamdulillah, I mean, ultimately, um, I mean, if, if, I think the, the most basic, most convincing, you know, say, I mean, there's many different arguments. And actually on my YouTube channel, I have, I have, uh, I think, seven different main uh, talks that, and, and, you know, arguments for, for against atheism. And so, you know, I, with the years, I've taken the time to really, you know, uh, clarify all the arguments. But even as a young kid, to me, the most basic idea was if this whole world is chaos, then that means that my brain isn't exempt from that. So if this whole world is chaos and I'm a product of that chaos, then that means if there's no if there's nobody in charge, there's no you know powerful knowledgeable God that's like running everything. Then I can't really trust my own thoughts and my own brain because I am just a product of chaos. And if that is the case, then the whole pursuit pursuit of truth is nonsense to begin with. So it's self defeating. Like if I really am an atheist, then 
like what's even the point of saying that I've arri- arrived at a conclusion and that the truth is atheism? No, it's just just live hedonistically, li- live nihilistically, and just embrace the abs- absurdity of it all. Just just be completely nihilistic and just be like, look, we're all chaos. So the whole pursuit of truth is nonsense anyway, you know. So so that to me uh, made it very obvious that atheism is just uh, it's self defeating. Ultimately, it's self defeating and it leads to nihilism. So just a follow up question on that: um, you were saying how you were an anomaly, or, or you were not an anomaly, and that you know people should probably be thinking about what is the purpose of life. But why is it? Do you think that you know most people you know run away from this question or don't want to think about uh, why we're here? Yeah, yeah honestly, I, I honestly. I find it funny. I find it very interesting that like, I totally understand if you, it's kind of like, you know, I understand the whole procrastination, you know, you were kind of putting it off, you know, you have homework to do, but you just don't feel like doing it. I get all that, you know, you know, I I know what that, that feeling is like. And I know that procrastination is, 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 is part of the human condition and, 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 you know, you put it off. Right. But this whole indefinite putting it off that to me, I I just don't get it. Like you're never curious. You never ask like there isn't a single night your head on the bed you put it put your head on the pillow and you're just like what is this like am i (laughs) on a blue planet that is floating in space like i'm i'm like where are we we're we're in space like we call it space because it's just space (laughs) you know it's just more and more space where does it go why are we here you know it's just the whole idea like we're basically on a ship but instead of it having an outer core and us living inside the ship, we kind of live on the surface of it, which is even more incredible. And mm-hmm. it's literally flying around the sun. And if it lo- lost its orbit, we're not in charge. Like we don't, we don't, we don't, we can't grab the steering wheel and be like, oh, oh, sorry, I just gotta adjust it a little bit, get a little bit closer to the sun, stay warm, or oh, too far, you know, get a little bit further to cool off. Like nobody's actually steering this ship that we're all on, and we're just here, and nobody knows where we came from, and nobody knows where we're going. And we just live on Earth. And you can just look up at the sky and see all the stars. I mean, it's really, it's a joke, really. I find right. it hilarious. I find it ridiculous. And the fact that people somehow keep procrastinating and putting off thinking about, like, what is this? I'm actually on Earth in, like, like the, 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 basically, I guess, I guess you know, the, the, the sort of classic philosophical perspective is, why is there something instead of nothing, right? Mm-hmm. That is, if you, if you can't bother to think that, if you can't bother to take that basic first step, then I'm sorry. I don't think I can help you. You know, uh, right. I, I, our our minds are just not compatible. Maybe there's some sort of switch that has just been turned off in your head, and you're just more concerned with what baseball. I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> people can't. You know, no, these other things. Yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry, it, it's even crazier because even when you put um, restrictions like a time limit or like right now, tell me, they still find a way to get out of it and like like almost as a cheap mentality, like you know, like. Uh, what what does everyone else do want? What does everyone else think is right? You, no one even wants to think for themselves, even at that moment, which is even more crazier. Yeah, I remember a, a, a hilarious. Uh, I I remember really. I learned a lot from Dawa. Dawa is, is one of the things that just standing and 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 speaking to people, random people, and talking about Dean. I find it such an eye opening uh, uh, practice. And I, uh, you know, if anybody walks away with any sort of message, I would definitely say, if there's somebody that you want to talk to about Islam and you're hesitant, just get over it, you know, get over your fear because it's an important trait and quality to develop within yourself. Anyway, so I remember one time, it was so remarkable to me. Some guy, we were at, we were standing on this thing called the mezzanine, which is this area in Concordia University where like people put up their booths and, and you know, promote whatever they're promoting. So the MSA, the Muslim Students Association, they had their own booth and I was there. I would usually go there on Thursday nights. So I'm standing there and some guy comes up and he goes, I go, so what do you think the purpose of life is? 
he goes, yeah, you know, I think, I think the purpose of life, you know, it's, it's to learn, you know, it's a journey and the purpose of life is to learn. I'm like, oh, great. So uh, what have you learned? And he just <laughs> froze. He just completely froze. And I was like, so what'd you learn? And he's like, well, I mean, I mean, I think life, you know, it's just, you know, it's like a journey and we're supposed to learn. I'm like, right. I got, I got that. Like, so what did you learn? And yet, and he, I guess for years of his life, he's just been using this as a one-liner and it's, everybody's always been appeased by it. Right. Anytime yeah. this question came up, he's like, don't worry. I got this one-liner in my back pocket. I'll just bust it up. And everybody will be like, oh, you know, giving me a little applause and, and they'll leave me alone. And no, I'm like, okay, let's dig a little deeper. What have you learned? And he was not prepared for the question. And he just sort of froze on it. And it just goes to show how shallow of a society we live in that an answer like that is usually sufficient. And it shouldn't be. That's exactly what I think Muslims, that's our job to say, let's let's dig a little deeper. Okay, great. That you, Your purpose is to learn. What have you learned? And the guy's just, he stares at me like blank, like nobody's ever done this before. Like nobody's ever gotten past this first little hurdle. And it's like, this isn't even a hurdle, man. This is nothing. Like this is the beginning. And, and it's, remarkable to me. it's remarkable how how much people can avoid what is right in their face. It's, uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's more of like we're scared or afraid because if if we find the truth, we have to change ourselves and leave who we are now. And so people find ways to just keep pushing it off. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, subhanAllah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, my, my, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm in a position that I am in and I, I try to, you know, this is a, a theme and a topic that I talk about a lot here in my community. I really try to get my community to be more involved at work, uh, at school, wherever they are, to not be afraid of engaging people and being interested in people. It's not about going out and being preachy and like, you know, alienating people and making them feel awkward. It's about getting the conversation started. It's about just being curious about these issues. It's about saying, look, I want to get to know you. Me and you have sat next to each other in school or at work for X amount of time. We've talked about the weather. We've talked about uh, politics. We've talked about, you know, I don't know, traffic. We've talked about work. We've talked about everything. We've talked about uh, now I want to get to know you. What do you believe, right? What do you think it's all about? I think Muslims need to train themselves to open these topics up and make it normal. And, and, and the fact that we're not goes to show that we're not being, we're not leaders, we're followers. We're, we're not, we're not setting the trend. We are just sort of bandwagoning and just, and just, you know, uh, following whatever trends are popular. And this is not the position of a, of a believer. The believer is a leader, not a follower. And, um, you know, uh, th this is our role as, as du'at in, in the West. SubhanAllah, Brother Nasser, that was very uh, enlightening. But if I could kind of take the conversation uh, in another uh, direction, just about conversion. So as a convert to Islam yourself, or a revert, that's the word you like to use, are there any uh, you know, kind of particular issues at all kind of uh, reverts will face or converts will face when they first come into the religion? I don't know if I could speak. I mean, I'm sure, you know, everybody has a different... Uh... It's hard to say, you know, a one size fits all sort of answer. I mean, I think everybody's you know, position is unique. Like I said, the guy that I was that I grew up with, his he he faced a lot of challenges. He's faced a lot of difficulty, and uh, you know, I don't think I faced what he faced. Um, and so, you know, Subhanallah, everybody everybody has their own journey. It's 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 tough to say, but I guess I don't know um, the journey of the convert. Um, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you face, I think you have to recognize that, you know, don't, don't see yourself as a victim. Just accept the fact that everybody has their own challenges in life. And so whatever Allah Ta'ala dealt you as your, your challenge in life, accept it and recognize that, you know, as they say, as the expression goes, um, 
you know, don't tell the eagle to worry about the wind or tell the eagle not to worry about the wind. It'll only push him higher, you know, like challenges are designed. Allah Ta'ala put us on this earth so that we can overcome obstacles and exercise patience and really, you know, become the best versions of ourselves. And that's the, you know, the whole concept of fitna comes from fatan and, you know, you know, putting, putting the raw ore in the fire so that you can get out the pure gold, right? It's the whole idea that, that this, 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 that's exactly what's necessary to make you a better version. So whatever difficulties you go to, go through, don't think to yourself that, you know, this is unique to me. Everybody has their own challenges. Everybody goes through their own difficulty. And, you know, um, I, I don't mind it. I don't, I don't mind if people, you know, second guess me. I mean, I think there's people in my community that, that probably, you know, look at me like, oh, this guy's too young. He's not knowledgeable enough. I don't mind that, you know, uh, that just, you know, it's good to have your back to the wall. It's good to be the underdog. You know, it's good to feel like it's not enough because it's never enough. You know, why, why not? Why not let, you know, uh, people's doubts about you push you to the next level. I, I would definitely say that, you know, if, if people aren't critical of me, then I should be critical of myself. Right. And, and so, and so whatever, whatever challenges you're going through, like, so what, that's what life is, you know, just, 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 just deal with it. <laughs> that's my attitude at least. <laughs> um, but as a leader in your community, Sheikh Nasser, do you see uh, reverts have facing certain issues when they become Muslim? Oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, you know, uh, in this community, this is very, you know, um, strong Christian community. And so, uh, there are people who have to deal with their family members. And, and to me, it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit, it's a little bit funny. You know, I, I know of certain cases of people who, you know, their, their families, uh, you know, they're like so strong Christians and it's like, Oh, and they, and they want to preach to them and they tell them that, you know, what you're doing is wrong and becoming a Muslim and let's say putting on the hijab or whatever, all this is pure evil, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, okay, can we talk about it? No. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, why can't we just have a, have like a discussion and really try to figure out what makes sense? No, no, no. This is, you know, this is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, this is demon possession and this is evil. And it's like, okay, let's, let's just open up th these books and read what they say. And let's just like have a, a sober and calm and mature conversation. No, 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 no. I, I, that, to me, that is just, it goes to show, uh, um, just how bad of a position you you know you have if you can't even just okay like okay you want to preach to me let's let's do it you know and and may the best man win type of thing you know that's that should be the attitude that let's let's as together on a journey let's go find the truth together and it's just so strange to me that there are so many so many family members that are like look I know I'm right I know you're wrong I don't want to have a conversation about it and I'm just very very angry <laughs> it's like okay well what am I supposed to do with that. <laughs> It's not, it's not very helpful. Uh, how, how do you see the Dawah, Sheikh Nasser, uh, being in the West? And, um, do you see converts increasing over time? Or is the way things are going, we're looking at a, a decline? No, I would say, alhamdulillah, you know, um, I would say, alhamdulillah. I, I mean, look, I think that there are many people that convert to Islam, but I never, I'm never satisfied. I think the numbers need to always be increased. I think we have to constantly be pushing to guide as, as many as humanly possible. That's, that's, the, that's the job. That's the goal. Uh, so even though alhamdulillah, I think that, uh, you know, there are many converts, many people embrace Islam, alhamdulillah, I hear all sorts of, uh, beautiful stories of people embracing Islam. When I lived in Vegas, many people, many, many people embraced Islam. Um, many people from jail would come out of jail. And, uh, I have one brother, I remember, mashallah, may Allah bless him. He came to me after my Jummah khutbah and said, I just got out this morning after 11 years. And, uh, the first thing I did, uh, was he had been Muslim for about nine years, I think. And um, he said, yeah, first thing I did was come to Jum'ah. Before I even went home, before I did anything, I just wanted to come to Jum'ah and wow. finally be in the message. Mm -hmm. I felt so honored that, you know, I was the first khatib and I was the first time that he could finally be in a Jum'ah for in his life, you know, like outside of prison. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that, that you know, embrace Islam uh, in mm -hmm. prison. And, and um, 
there, and, 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 and also not in prison. I mean, just, just regular, regular converts. There was many in, in uh, Vegas, but here I've only been here for so long. And plus I've been here during COVID. So social distancing and everybody staying home, I think that's had a big negative impact. So Sheikh Nasser, do you have any particular tips on Muslims who are trying to get out of the shelves when trying to give dawah? I feel like um, we we want to talk about it, but then you know, like you talked before, we have this fear of talking about it or something inside of us just doesn't allow us to speak about it. So do you have anything to combat this? Yeah, lots. Number one uh, is the best. I, I, I say this statement a lot, and I think it's like one of the most powerful and true and simple statements. So it's very easy to remember and easy to repeat. The best way to be interesting is to be interested. The best way to be interesting is to be interested. And so what that what that basically means is show interest in the person, right? And this is something that Ibrahim alayhi salam, you know, Ibrahim alayhi salam, what, what do you worship? What? And he just asked open-endedly, like, what? tell me about you guys' faith. This is not my own personal idea. This is from the Quran. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about how Ibrahim alayhi salam, he, in, 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 in different instances, he would start the da'wah not by just saying, I'm right and you're wrong. Rather, he would say, you tell me, what, what are your beliefs? What do you guys think? You know, and then that that beautiful technique from Ibrahim Aleyhisselam is, is a very important lesson that Muslims are completely ignoring, unfortunately, which is what instead of just walking up to somebody and saying, well, this is what I believe. And let me tell you all about Islam. And the person's like, whoa, like, I don't even know you type of situation. You get to know the person and say, tell me about your beliefs. And then subhanAllah, as they explore their own mind and start realizing, man, I really probably should do some more research. And I haven't really thought about this stuff in a while. And I, you know, I really should you know, do a little bit more, give, put a little bit more effort into these, into these topics and these issues, um, then they're going to naturally turn to you and say, well, what do you believe? And you say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. And then there you go. You have, now you just have a, uh, an open-ended discussion and alhamdulillah, you know, and, and by the way, I don't mean to say, ask a person while waiting for your turn to talk. I mean, ask a person and genuinely listen and genuinely understand where they're coming from and be curious, be genuinely curious about to this person and, and, and try to figure out what their ideas are. And, uh, you know, ask a lot of questions. And oftentimes you'll find that if just by asking them questions, they'll realize, man, I really haven't thought this through and I really need to, you know, uh, improve and evolve my thinking and, and, and do some new research and really try to, you know, think some new thoughts here. Because oftentimes people, they, they have an idea when they're like kids and then they just stick with that to adulthood. And then the moment somebody asks them about it, they realize, wow, these are some outdated ideas. I really need to grow up a little bit. Um, so, uh, and so that's our job. So that's one, um, what else? I would also say, subhanAllah, look at what people share with the world. Like really just like I remember when I was one time walking downtown and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, man, like my band is playing and it's going to be so cool. And you got to come to some club and listen to my band. And I was like, this guy, you know, he's so confident. He just comes up to a stranger to talk about his band. And then I just I just looked at him thinking to myself, would I have the confidence to go up to him and just start talking about my dean, you know? Like there's so many people like this that are just willing and ready to put their stuff online and to make YouTube videos or I don't know, put their stuff on Instagram and just, I want to show the world, you know, some nonsense, right? And, 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 and it's just, you see all this, you're being bombarded with so much nonsense information that people are so passionate and confident about. And then you think to yourself, I actually have the truth. What am I afraid of? This is ridiculous. I actually have something that, that, that can withstand the test of time, can withstand scrutiny. I have something that is powerful. What am I doing here? And and so anyway, yeah, that, that's that's it, you should be angry at yourself that there are so many people that are so willing to share things that they have no idea what they're talking about and they have no word <laughs> for anything, and yet they're completely willing and ready. And then you're hiding. You have you have this shining beacon of light that's just 
it's just glowing. It's just, it's just ready to, to, to open people's eyes and take them from, from darkness to light. And you're just like, yeah, I think I'm going to stay home. You know, I'd rather just, you know, it's what it is. You know what it is? It's, uh, you know, the Prophet said, Right? right from the beginning, he received this wahi, and the first thing he said was, I just want to wrap up and, and put myself under the blankets, and I just want to, you know, I just want to be left alone, right? Mm-hmm. And Allah Ta'ala said, what? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, you who is wrapped up. You know, most of us were still wrapped up. Let's be honest. This is this is the state of the ummah. All mm-hmm. of us, we want to sit wrapped up in our blankets and just be on our phones or watch Netflix or just, we're all, you know, we're all wrapped up. And we're just too cozy and too comfortable. Boom, fa'anvir, get up. What are you doing? You can't sit on this. I don't, you know, that, if you can't get some of these very basic first messages that the Quran is teaching us, then subhanAllah, what chance do you have to get the rest of the message? SubhanAllah, and if I could uh, follow up uh, with another question, Nasser, Brother Nasser. So, you know, this world is, is quite comfortable now. You can get anything whenever you want. So how do you convince yourself that these comforts are not the only thing life is about, that there's more to life? Because I think that's, that's a big thing. That's a big issue, stopping people from thinking about the question, why am I here? Because they're so distracted by comfort. Mm. I mean, so how would you recommend that someone kind of overlook, you know, the comforts right in front of them and kind of see the bigger picture? Why am I here? I literally gave a Jumma khutbah about this topic today. <laughs> <laughs> so, <you're probably> prepared. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 yeah, um, uh, my, basically, because today is, you know, the 25th of December. And, um, and so I thought, you know, uh, I want to talk about basically materialism because subhanAllah, you know, Christmas has turned into a religion of shopping. Uh, it doesn't, it's, it seems to be divorced from any sort of spirituality. It seems to be pure materialism. Uh, and I mean, I'm not for everybody. I'm, I'm sure there are tons and tons of Christians that are genuinely sincere, uh, you know, uh, spiritual religious people. And that's great. But I think even the Christians would acknowledge uh, that. Well, I think all religions, I think there are many Muslims, many Christians suffering from, you know, uh, treating religion as a uh, sort of something you put on the, on the, on the back, on the back burner and you just focus on materialism. And so this is a, this is a widespread problem. That's why I want to address it today specifically. And so what I talked about today in, I'll try to summarize it quickly, inshallah, is just basically how there's two, uh, you know, um, perspectives on happiness. And one of them is happiness comes from the outside in and the other one's from the inside out. The outside in is that it's a material, you know, material things that, that it's you, you, you get happiness by grabbing physical, you know, material things and you bring them close to your person through purchasing, through acquiring, you know, uh, the latest phone and the latest watch and the latest uh, shoes and the nicest car and the nicest house and, and, and so on and so forth. And as long as I can drape myself in, in the most expensive clothes, then somehow all of this wealth will seep into me and make me of value. As long as I can put wealth all over me, then I will have value and that's going to make me happy. That's one perspective. And the, and what I said was essentially the, the, the logical conclusion of this type of thinking is becoming a drug addict ultimately, because when you really think about what is the ultimate uh, conclusion or the, 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 the pinnacle, if you will, of this type of thinking of, of grabbing or purchasing a material substance and bringing it into your person and then it making you causing you happiness, well, that's smoking or drinking or injecting some sort of a substance that will make you happy, right? And so really, this is this materialistic perspective is really the, the perspective of a junkie. And I even talked about how, you know, I'm sure there are some parents that are hardworking parents and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, very upstanding citizens that work really hard, but they're very materialistic. And then their kids, you know, become drug addicts. And they, they're thinking to themselves, how did this happen? We never set an example like this. You know, they didn't learn this from us. And, and no, you're wrong. They did learn it from you because you taught them a very simple and straightforward equation. And that equation is what? Happiness is bought. 
happiness is bought. You buy certain substances and this child chose to buy a different substance. But at the end of the day, you taught him this lesson that happiness is bought. And it's just ultimately, if you really think that that's the case, then you should be a junkie, I would think. Now, I think that the opposite perspective is that happiness is what from the inside out. And what does that mean? That happiness comes from not from physical, but from metaphysical things, or you could say spiritual things, or you could say uh, conceptual things. And I, I had a whole list. Well, you know, uh, concepts like uh, connecting to your Lord and dhikrullah, remembering your, your creator, uh, praying to him and asking for forgiveness, repenting and, and admitting your sins. These things, they don't have any sort of physical reality. You, these things do not have a material substance. They don't have a weight. They don't have a, a color or a texture and they cannot be packaged from a factory. They cannot be bought. They cannot be delivered to your house in uh, three to five business days, right? You know, things like standing up for what you believe in, speaking the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, being courageous, Things like uh, these are spiritual victories, things like uh, having integrity and having taqwa, having self-restraint to stay away from things that are evil. Uh, uh, these uh, what else? Subhanallah, we can, the list goes on. I mean, you could talk about connecting to somebody, having a deep and meaningful conversation with somebody, uh, uh, you know, ag acknowledging that you've made a mistake and overcoming your arrogance and apologizing for, 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 for doing something wrong. Right. And so on and so forth. The list goes on and on. Uh, gratitude, shukr, uh, you know, being grateful. These things do not have a physical uh, uh, reality. These are, uh, you could say. Uh, like I said, metaphysical realities, spiritual realities. And these are the, these are the things that, uh, you know, uh, uh, happiness comes from. And so my conclusion of the talk was, I know everybody agrees with this. Everybody knows this intuitively. We all know that happiness is not bought, that happiness has to come from within. But the real question is, don't, don't tell me what your answer is in terms of, you know, whether you agree with me or not. Go home. I said, this was your, this was for, for, for the, everybody in Jumat today, your homework assignment, your, your action item, is to go home today to your family and ask your family members, when am I happy? When am I happy? Because anybody can give the right answer, but we need to know what how you behave, right? Are you happy when you can buy something? Are you happy when you can uh, acquire more material things? Are you happiest when you can go on a vacation and eat this and, and, and drink that and, and you can you know purchase the latest whatever? Or do you show happiness when you actually, let's say, pray your prayers on time, when you've memorized a new surah of the Qur'an, when you called a family member and told them that you love them after not speaking to them for a long period of time, when you can get up in the middle of the night and somebody calls and says, I need help, and you can help them, and you feel genuinely happy. When somebody, a colleague at work, you know, uh, uh, asks about Islam and you can give them a mushaf and talk to them and answer their questions. You know, when do you, and I, because and I, we have a lot of physicians in my, in my community, I said, to the physicians out there, you know, your kids are watching, right? So your kids will know whether you are happy because you go to work and you can come home and say, I genuinely helped somebody and I alleviated their pain and I made them feel better. Or you say, yeah, 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 I, you know, I, I helped whoever and that's fine and dandy, but ultimately I got this paycheck. Check out what I got. I got this and this and this money, right? Because both are true. You are getting the paycheck and you are helping people. But where's the emphasis? What puts a, What makes you exude happiness? Where can I see the ear-to-ear -ear smile? When, when, when do I see that from my parents? Is, it, is the focus on the check or is the focus on the help? You know, And so this is what I was putting to the community. I started to re, <laughs> rehash my whole khutbah, but that's basically, uh, you know, that, that was the lesson for today. No, I mean, I think that's really well needed now, especially because of how instant um, media is and how instant supposed happiness is for everyone. And uh, it's more than a needed uh, advice. So, uh, Sheikh Nasa, I wanted to go back, or we want to go back onto your journey of uh, learning and studying uh, Islam. Uh, could you kind of walk us through um, your time at Bayina and maybe your time abroad and maybe your time even in Malaysia? If you give us a rundown about that. 
Well, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, um, for me, and this is the advice uh, that I give to, uh, you know, young people, you know, you have to figure out, you know, is this something that I need that I cannot live without or not? Because if you're a dabbler, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of touch and go, then you're wasting the time of your, of your teachers. You know, you just, you just, you know, your teachers could be focusing on different students, better students. You're filling a seat and, and wasting that seat, essentially. Have respect for our teachers, have respect for their time, have respect for their dedication to teaching this dean. And ask yourself, uh, you know, don't half step. Don't, don't, you know, one foot in, one foot out. I'm just sort of here because I'm not really sure what I want to do. And so I'm just kind of, you know, figuring myself out. I, I, I have no time for, for people like this. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's really painful. It's especially painful when you see people like this get a scholarship. You know, easy come, easy go. The money comes into their account. They test it out for a couple of weeks and they say, you know what, meh. You know, uh, I, I, I realized I didn't, I didn't feel like doing this. And then subhanAllah, the money that got raised, it goes to waste. And, uh, and then the community's like, you know what, we don't want to raise money for these kids anymore because this kid, you know, he took the money and then he does decide after a couple of weeks he didn't feel like it. That really, it just boils my blood. It makes me very upset. So please stop wasting everybody's time. Either ask yourself, is this something that I cannot live without? Is this something that I absolutely cannot live without? Like basically when I die and I have to face my Lord, face my maker, and I have to, you know, and, and, and I have to look back upon my life on judgment day, I have to see my own deeds in front of me. Is learning this deen, learning Arabic, memorizing the Quran, studying Islam, is this something that is absolutely necessary and that it doesn't matter what's in front of me, this is what I must do? Or is it something that's just like kind of like a nice sort of passion on the side? If it's a little thing on the side, then mashallah, you know, watch as many YouTube videos as you like. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, read as many books as you like at home, you know, go to the halakhas at your local masjid. Beautiful. Mashallah. Become, you know, as practicing as you can. And that's beautiful. But if you're going to actually study this deen, then either go all the way or, or, or just stop wasting your teacher's time. That would be my Subhanallah. And Brother Nasser, sorry, if I could uh, ask a follow-up question to that. Um, have you seen that often where a student has got a scholarship and they've just gone back on it and then the community's like, we're not going to raise any more money for anyone? Is that something you've seen before? I have seen, I have seen, uh, yes, actually, uh, I can think of three different instances, which is very sad that I can think of three, subhanAllah. <laughs> I can think of uh, 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 three different instances, but they're very different in nature. They're not all the same thing, but um, they do have, you know, like I remember one guy got a, a scholarship and he wasn't even sure about his own dean. This guy got a scholarship because it seemed like academically sound. But in terms, like they didn't audit him and, and, and really take the time to, to really see how strong and dedicated and, and confident he was about even his Islam. And that, it, was, it was so upsetting. I was like, why didn't they give this to somebody who was at least starting from a solid basis? And anyway, mashallah, I think the guy's doing well now, but that was, was somewhat upsetting. That was one person. Um, another one, uh, yeah, a guy, he, he literally, money, easy come, easy go. He, he got a lot of money. Um, it came easily. Yeah, after a little while, he was like, "Man, I don't feel like this anymore," and he just stopped. And uh, I haven't seen that organization do the same thing again. I, well, I, now I know why. And look, the guy himself, mashallah, he is practicing in his deen. And he is solid, but he didn't finish the program, and that just, it just drove me nuts. Um, I know of uh, another case where, yeah, they sent somebody to go study deen, and then they weren't impressed with you know, his his uh, in the community when he came back and then they said yeah we don't want to raise money anymore so yeah i definitely i can think of three different instances unfortunately yeah i think uh, many people even go to medina they get into the university there and they just come back a semester later because it w wasn't in the nia or it wasn't in their heart and they just don't just don't get through the whole thing and it's really sad look you can you can 
you know, subhanAllah, let's say a school is not like as amazing as you thought it was going to be. You know, you can spend so much time in the library, spend so much time doing side studies and asking your teachers questions. And, you know, you can make it worth it. You know, I, I, there's you, the, the, the range, the range of students, you, you'll find that some students, mashallah, you know, it doesn't matter where you place them, they will take, they will squeeze so much out of their time at their school. Like, okay, I'll give you an example with Qalam, you know, I'd, I'd show up in the morning and then class would finish at, uh, I think what, around three or four o'clock, let's say. I'd stay there till Isha. I'd stay, I'd stay, I'd stay there and pray Salat al-Isha there and then get home uh, uh, at nighttime. And it was like, well, what do you, and, and I had the key, I had to lock up, you know, and why? Well, because, you know, we had a ton of homework and, you know, I have to work on my Arabic and I have to look up each of these words and, you know, just this, the grind of looking up every word. And sometimes you look at a word and you're like, I know I've looked at this word at least seven or eight times and I'm going to look it up again. And you just, yeah. Yeah. but you're like, you know what? That's, that's it. That's what it is. I, you just have to look at the word and say, listen, you're not going to beat me word. I don't care. I don't care how many times I have to, I how many times I have to look you up. I will look you up a thousand times if I have to. I'm, I'm going to learn this word. I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out, you know? And so you just have to say, look, I'm not going to lose to this. I'm going to keep going, even if it kills me. And if I die in this state, alhamdulillah, that's a good way. That's a good way to go. If you truly believe that. And if you don't, then just don't waste the time of your teacher. Just right. go away. I mean, we can all agree Arabic is not an easy language. and It, it requires that grind and every like this mentality of I'm going to beat it or it's going to beat me. And there's no way around that. Yes. Yes. You have to accept the fact that this is, I will keep on looking up the same word. <laughs> Over and over again. And you need to hear this. I remember the first time I heard somebody say that, I was like, okay, I'm not the only one. And so if anybody's out there listening to this and they feel like I must be the only one that looked up this word at least 15 times, you're not. You're not. I can tell you there are still certain words that I'm like, I've seen this word a hundred times and I'm still looking it up. And it's just hilarious to me. But I'm like, whatever, man. You know, alhamdulillah, even the way we look things up, uh, we, if you have the right apps on your phone, you can look it up in a second anyway. So. Yeah, no, like now it's so much easier to learn Arabic than it was 15 years ago when my uh, teacher went to uh, our university in UIA in Malaysia. He didn't have like Google Translate and all these internet apps that we have now. It's just, I look it up on Hans Weir or I'm asking somebody and it's a struggle then and we're still struggling now and it's crazy. Yeah, so so Brother Nasser, like, but we've established that studying, you know, Arabic is quite difficult. Are there any, you know, you know tips you can give to motivate yourself to kind of get over that discouragement? You know what? Honestly, it's going to maybe sound weird, but one of the things that, you know, I love to watch motivational videos about great people in anything. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but um, uh, uh, Egypt is celebrating right now because Big Rami just won uh, Mr. Olympia. You guys heard yeah, about that? Yeah, yeah. You guys know about that? <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look at this guy's life. Right. This guy, you know, year after year, like these people, they literally live like monks. Like they, they, their lifestyle is I'm not I'm not promoting it, by the way. I'm not saying I know this is full of steroids and there's lots of there's lots of problems with the whole bodybuilding scene. I'm just saying, look at the ability of a human being to dedicate themselves to say, I am going to sleep very ex exact hours. I'm going to eat very exactly. exact meals. I'm going to push my body to its absolute limit to the point where I could injure myself at any moment because I'm literally pushing myself to its absolute capacity. Whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's, I don't know, um, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe basketball, you know. Look at the way, I remember, uh, you know, there's there's some videos about um, Kobe Bryant when he, when he passed away, right? People right. were, you know, watching videos about this guy's work ethic. Right. Michael Jordan had that. Uh, I didn't even see it, but apparently it was really good. Uh, the, what was it called? The Last Dance, I think it was called. Yeah, the the, the documentary on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see it myself, but I, I remember my brother was telling me about it. He was saying that, like, you know, what you get from that from that uh, documentary, The Last Dance, is just what it takes to be number one. 
you know, and basically these guys are psychopaths. These guys are completely insane. They are, they are yeah. so to their craft. Right. And, and for what, for basketball, like, like, you know, it, we're literally talking about putting a ball in a hoop, like, 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 like you guys realize how, how arbitrary that is. It has zero actual value. There's no value in putting a ball in a hoop. There's, it's nothing. It's meaningless. It only has the value that we give it. Right. But, and, and so, and so, but, and yet they become so dedicated that every moment of their life is dedicated to spending time with people that will help them in their, in their pursuit. And, 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 and just thinking about these things, dreaming about these things, working tirelessly, endlessly, you know, uh, subhanAllah. And, and you think about our ulama of the past and you think about these mujahideen and these people who fought and who not only com- combined this insane passion to just pursue this deen and knowledge and to study it, you know, a hundred percent, but they were actually on a road that meant something, you know, an actual path that was real, uh, that actually had meaning, that could actually change the world, and 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 you know uh, was 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 significant both in dunya and in akhirah. So, to me, I, I derive a lot of motivation by by seeing just just by seeing what greatness takes and understanding what being number one takes, and 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 understanding that. So I remember I'll give you one quick uh, you know last point about this. I remember when I was doing my bachelor's, and uh, one of my professors said something very, very profound. She said, the only way you can do a PhD is if you are a little bit crazy, a little bit obsessed with a topic. That's the only way you'll ever be able to do it. You have to be a little bit nuts because you can never study one subject so in depth, so obsessively without being a little bit nuts about that subject. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really, I really thought that was true. And I also thought, you know, subhanAllah, it really has a lot to do with the concept of love, you know, this idea of falling in love with some, something and being obsessed with something. And I think that so many people, they just lack any love in their life. You know, they don't, they've never fallen in love with a subject. They've never fallen in love with anything. And they live this life of just, you know, one distraction to the next because of the pain of existence without any love in your life. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's a really sad way of just waiting to die, essentially. You just, okay, let's watch this distraction and now let's watch that distraction and hopefully I'll die soon enough so that I don't have to just be living this loveless life. No, you should live in such a way where you have love, where you have passion, and that love and passion is going to translate to an obsessive, you know, devotion to your craft. Uh, and I hope it's something more important than just putting a ball in a net or just making your muscles get bigger. Even though I'm impressed with their incredible dedication, I think that there's something much greater than that. SubhanAllah. Um, Jazakallah Khair says, uh, Nasa, that was quite enlightening. Um, I want to study um, right now. You mentioned about PhDs. Would, would you mind um, just letting us know what you did your PhD at in, in Malaysia? Yeah, I did. Um, I studied, um, oh, the, the, the title of it is quite long and technical. I should memorize it. I don't know why I don't. <laughs> I just, I just kind of, but anyway, it's basically about, uh, first of all, it was about, it's about tafsir. And the reason is because I really fell in love with tafsir al-Quran. I just really, you know, the moment I started, I was able to start reading a little bit of Arabic. I realized that subhanAllah tafsir is the absolute, you know, the most beautiful thing. I think really it was, it was Ustad Nu'man Ali Khan, but way back in like, I don't know, 2007, eight, nine, around there when he started to become on the scene and, and just him, I think, you know, having this, this, this beautiful approach to making the Quran come alive, it really, that's one of the reasons why I became, you know, so dedicated and, and, and wanting to go to Bayina and study with him and learn from him. And mm-hmm. uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, you know, I just became, I realized that this is, this is what it is. You know, this is, this is what it's at. This is where it's at. You know, if you could fall in love with something, it's tafsir al-Quran. If you could read these ayat and understand the layers and layers of depth to them, subhanAllah, there's nothing more beautiful. So anyway, I knew that um, after 
doing my master's thesis in uh, Sunni Shia polemics. I, I was doing that because of Dao reasons. Remember, I was talking about how I was very interested ah, yeah. in, in, in different groups and so on and so forth. And so yeah. after studying you know, Christianity and, and, and atheism, and then I started to also uh, study different fiqh or, or, or you know, different sectarianism within Islam. And so I really want to go into depth in terms of Sunni Shia. And so I did my master's thesis there. By the end of my thesis, I was like, I'm never going to go back to this topic. I am done. I'm saturated. I don't want, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in this anymore. I've, I've done it to death. And I'm satisfied. I'm done. So then I thought I need to do my PhD in something that I'll never be tired of, something that I will always want to do more of. And that's when I realized that it has to be tafsir. So anyway, uh, my, my, my PhD thesis was in um, Quranic dawah da techniques for the Western audience. And so the idea was how to give dawah to the Western audience. I mostly focused on atheism and how the Quran deals with atheism agnosticism what are the quranic arguments against agnostics and i also talked about like what are the dawah techniques that muslims need to learn from the quran and like for example i just gave that example of ibrahim a moment ago like th th these are the type of things that i was focusing on you know um uh, of how to engage audiences and how to get them interested because these are i guess i would say are my two main passions dawah of spreading the, this deen and and then tafsir just for myself and personally the, the the beauty and the spiritual growth that you develop by getting closer to the quran um what was the question? <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Uh, uh, that was pretty much it. Like uh, what you focused on and what, why you wanted to focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to focus on it because I just wanted to, I wanted an excuse to be able to get better and deeper in tafsir. And this is, this is the same reason why here in Indiana, you know, every Tuesday night I have my tafsir classes. Uh, it's another reason for me. Uh, maybe selfishly, Allah Alam. I mean, Alhamdulillah, at least I'm benefiting others at the same time, but genuinely I really do enjoy, um, memorizing Quran and then trying to appreciate the layers upon layers in every single ayah. And I do really believe that this is a living miracle. And I think that when Muslims say that the Quran is a miracle, I think we throw that out there and very lazily, very cheaply. It's just like, it's, it's almost cliche. Oh yeah, the Quran's a miracle. Oh really? Why? Why is it a miracle? Uh, 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 oh really? The Quran is a miracle? Okay. What's your favorite surah? What's your favorite ayah? You know, uh, when was the last time you felt the touch of that miracle? Where, what, what, where have you been affected? How is this miracle affecting your life? How are you interacting with it? How is it transforming? Uh, I don't know. It's a miracle. Yeah. Okay, great. Good for you. Anybody can say that. Anybody can just say, oh, yeah, well, the Bible's a miracle. Why? I don't know. Because it is. Great. You know, it, it's, it's just, it's so cliche. I don't, I don't appreciate that at all. What I think is important is that when Muslims say that this book is a miracle, you have to be able to say, I'm going to treat it like a miracle. I'm going to study it and witness the miracle every single day that I'm studying tafsir, that I'm memorizing this Quran. And if I'm not, and this is the key important thing, I believe, if I am not witnessing the miracle currently, if I can, go, if I'm reading a certain surah or even a one single ayah and I don't see its miraculous nature, then you should not be satisfied. You should in fact be annoyed with yourself and say to yourself, either it's a lie and that this, surah, this Quran is not a, a, a miracle, or there's something here that I'm not seeing and I need to study it until I finally see it. It's either one or the other. It's, there's no, there's no in between. Either what every single ayah should be miraculous to you, and you should be able to go deeper and deeper into it, into it until you see the miracle yourself, and you are convinced it is from Allah Taala. And if you do not, if you do not, then you have to say to yourself, then I haven't done the research, or maybe it's, maybe I'm wrong altogether. Maybe this Quran isn't miraculous. And I mm -hmm. think that if every Muslim had this attitude and that said, no, I will get to the bottom of it and prove that it's a miracle. 
And until I do, then I'm not satisfied and I'm not comfortable. If you had that attitude, then we would be, subhanAllah, treating the Qur'an very, very differently and the Ummah would be in a much better state. That's my attitude. Allah. I guess um, even like how non-Muslims have their own blindness, Muslims also have a type of blindness that they've sort of, everyone's sort of got to wake up to themselves a little bit. Yeah, it's a big claim. You can't just you can go around saying, oh, the Qur'an's going to Why? I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> it's nonsense, man. What are you talking about? Ustaz, <laughs> <laughs> is your thesis uh, available online or published or anything no, like that? No, I'd say it's, it's in my uh, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, 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 have it. I think it's, I mean, it's probably in the university. Uh, so, I mean, you guys can okay. look up there. You know, they, they have all their, they have all their. Yeah, yeah, that's there, right. You know, that's right, that, yeah. In the library in IUM, you know, there's that one computer to the left. The first <laughs> <time>. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. Uh, wait for Sadman to go back and get it for us. <laughs> they don't leave that for the masses. They, they have it for specific uh, uses. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. going to miss Malaysia, man. Honestly, um, you know, Malaysia was so, so beautiful. Um, honestly, it's yeah. a tropical rainforest. And uh, and then I moved to Vegas, which is a desert. And so, subhanAllah, you know, I'm... <laughs> You know, I live in, in Texas, which is like flatlands and drylands and warm. And I lived in Montreal, which is like ice cold. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the deserts of, of, uh, of Vegas and then Malaysia, tropical rainforest. And now I'm sort of in like sort of standard, you know, what's it called? The Midwest and, you know, you know, typical farmland, which is very nice, by the way. But anyway, it's just uh, subhanAllah, I feel so blessed that I could have that I've gotten the chance to see so many different climates and, and not just see them, but live there, you know, for like extended periods of time. Alhamdulillah. So if, if someone wants to, um, you know, start their journey, uh, just if they have no idea where to start, where, where would you, in, in terms of learning Arabic and they don't have, let's say the ability to go abroad, uh, what would you, uh, which direction would you put them uh, towards? Well, um, I would say, you know, memorize short surahs and learn the vocabulary. Um, I would say um, there's an app, getquranic.com, uh, Quranic Arabic for busy people. If you go to getquranic.com, so G-E-T-Q-U-R-A-N-I-C.com, inshallah, there's an app there that I think is of benefit. I think that's brother um, Ustad, uh, he was my teacher actually, mashallah, Ustad Jamal, um, Adam Jamal, uh, his app, mashallah, may Allah bless him. He's an amazing human being, mashallah, Adam Jamal. He's, he's now working in... Um, MAPS, which stands for, oh God, I don't remember what it stands for. It's a masjid in um, out west. Uh, I can't even remember the state. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going on. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Adam, yes. if you ever listen to this, I apologize where you're at. Anyway, I know that you're out west, close, like right underneath. It's not uh, Seattle. I think it's in Seattle. Is that right? I could be Washington, wrong. Washington State. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe, I believe that's correct. Now, I, I, look, I'm Canadian. I don't know American geography too well, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where he is, if I'm not mistaken. Well, on him. And anyway, mashallah, he's an amazing, amazing teacher and just an amazing human being, to be honest. And uh, may Allah bless him. And so, yeah, he made an app uh, called, uh, and uh, mashallah, I think it's doing quite well. So I would suggest that. Um, what else? You know, uh, a lot of them, you know, I, just, just. Brother Nassar, if I could interject and ask a question on Sadman's behalf. Yeah. Regarding study, do you feel that marrying someone who is studying Arabic also kind of facilitated your Arabic learning and helped your children? This is a sidebound question, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> you guys wanted just a very brief answer. I mean, obviously, the topic of marriage is a huge, huge question, and uh, I think it deserves a lot of uh, its own. Hopefully, we can bring you back for that. Inshallah. Maybe we can talk about these things a little bit more. But uh, ultimately, what I would say is that, you know, if you're, if you're serious about your deen, then uh, finding a practicing very solid, strong sister is uh, non-negotiable. It's, it's absolutely how 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 on earth are you going to be simultaneously 
trying to work on your team and trying to work on that one, trying to work on your community. Meanwhile, you know, you have to, uh, you know, uh, what's the term? Uh, micromanage your wife in every little thing in the house and try to make sure, did you teach them how to pray? Did you teach them this dua? Did you teach them this? Did you teach them that? SubhanAllah, man, you're going to drive yourself absolutely insane if you are trying to, uh, you know, uh, carry her dean along the way. You know, but let me put it this way. This is my mm-hmm. advice to all young people. Don't marry a project, okay? Very, very, very simple l- l- word to live by. You can... You can have lots of different friends that are a project. You know, you're trying to work on your buddy and you're trying to, you know, give doubt to this person at work and you're trying to give doubt to this person at school. But the whole beauty of a project is that it might work or it might not work, right? And if it doesn't work out, then okay, whatever, we part ways and we just go. But if you marry a project, then now you're locked in and there is no walking away. So, mm. and there is no guarantee that it'll work, right? So this whole idea of, oh, I know she's not very practicing right now, or he, I know he's not, if, if we're talking about sisters, if sisters are, are listening, you know, the whole idea of, oh, I know this person is not very uh, practicing or strong in their dean. But, you know, I think if I marry them and work on them, then, I, you know, why would you gamble like this? Why would you gamble like this? No, that's, that's just absolutely insane. Don't marry a project. You marry somebody for who they are now, not that who they're going to be in a week, month, year, or whatever else. Who they are now, that's who you marry. And so, um, yeah, this I think is a big topic, but that would be my sort of brief brief advice do not marry project marry a sister who you love her the way she is now and she's strong the way she is now especially if you're involved in dawah especially if you're involved in studying your dean your time is going to be very very tight and so you can't be micromanaging somebody to you know uh, be teaching your kids and so on and so forth you need to make sure that she is passionate and she is in love with her dean herself why so that when it comes to raising of the children it's like, I don't have to micromanage her. She's coming with ideas that I don't even think of myself. You know, she's, she's got them learning this and memorizing that and studying this. And, and she's doing it in a way that shows that she loves to do it and that the kids are falling in love with it as well. This is, I would have to say, the greatest, the greatest ni'mah that, in this dunya. The greatest ni'mah in this dunya, other than your own, obviously, than your, other than your deen. Obviously, that's something, you know, uh, spiritual and, and not. But I would say in, in terms of the greatest ni'mah that you can have is a righteous wife. Uh, 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 there's nothing, there's no greater decision you can make in my opinion, than having a wife that is practicing, passionate about her dean, and that will truly make it her own, not something that you have to micromanage, but something that truly her own project is to see uh, the children love their dean. And if you guys settle for less than that, then I think you are absolutely insane. If you want to kill yourself, if you want to, if you want to torture yourself, then you go right ahead. And please don't come crying to me when, when, when you're losing your mind. Don't, I've, I've given my warning. If you want to, you know, torture yourself, that's your own problem. That's my advice. <laughs> that's that's uh, super valuable advice. Jazakallah khairan. And uh, with that, I think we can wrap things up. You guys have any more follow-up questions for Brother Nasser? I think we'll uh, bring it back for more follow-up questions if we want to talk. Yeah. That was a real pleasure, guys. Brother Nasser, inshallah, um, we will include your link to your YouTube page. And uh, is your Facebook page still active? We can put that in the link for the description of the book. Yeah, it's uh, Dr. Uh, so Dr. Dot and then Nasser K. So N-A-S-S-E-R-K. So Dr. Nasser K um, on Instagram. You guys can check me out. And Alhamdulillah, you know, we have uh, regular clips from my khutbas and halakat and so forth being put up there. And so, yeah, please, if you guys want to follow there. And then my YouTube channel, just look up my first and last name, Nasser Karimian. You'll find my YouTube channel in second. Facebook, I'm not that active. Oh, I think we are creating a podcast, I think. Uh, but I don't think that's up and running yet. He's going to be taking my my lectures and just sort of putting them in podcast format, inshallah, soon soon enough. Okay, Mashallah. We'll be sure to include all the stuff in the description then. Yeah. And uh, to our audience, once again, thanks for stopping by the caravan, Sir Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.
If you enjoyed your stay at the Caravanserai, be sure to subscribe so you will be notified when a new episode is posted. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. We hope you enjoyed your stay with us and learned something new. Once again, thanks for stopping by the Caravanserai.